today I want to share a message with you. Uh, we've been talking about the presence of God. And today I want to bring an, another follow-on from that passion that I'm having in my heart. It's that we welcome the presence of God. And so to do that, there's an attitude we need to have. There's an attitude, there's a frame of mind, a mindset we must live by that welcomes His presence everywhere we go. And it's one of those things that are, well, yeah, basic, but we forget about it all the time. But today I wanted to share this thought on the key attitude that welcomes His presence. What do you think that key attitude will be? I've shared several things in the past few weeks, but I really think there's one that needs to be dominant, that welcomes the presence of God. Does anybody want to share a thought? What do you think is the attitude of heart that will welcome the presence of God more than anything else? Availability. Availability. I really think that's important. I really think that's important. You've got to be willing to say yes. Oh, yeah. Humble ourselves. You have to be like a child. That's right. And I think a child, uh, well, a child can be prideful. <laughs> but a child is just like simple and innocent and, and open. Oh, these are good answers. Uh, and none of them are wrong. None of them are wrong. But the one that I want to talk about today, what I think is the the key attitude, the one we all need, if you'll flip to the next slide, Bill, is humility. we got to humble ourselves. we got to humble ourselves. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, When pride comes, disgrace follows. Anybody want to give a testimony about that in your life? (laughs) I think I've got a lot of examples I could use. But with humility comes wisdom. Now, why is that? Why, Why with humility would wisdom come? It's because in humility, there's an openness to what other people will say, to what God will say, what the Spirit will say. But with pride, there's no room. When I try to counsel people and they're full of pride, there's really no hope for the interview. There's really no hope for the counseling session. If there's a a couple having marital trouble or if there's an individual who wants to get out of some big problem and they come to me for help and there's no humility, there is no hope for them. I cannot help them. Yeah, if you think you know it all already, there's no room for new information. There's no room for that which would really help. So, <laughs> I, I want to say to us all, we need to humble ourselves. As a church, and I appreciate the idea of the corporate. Okay, I'm, I'm going to humble myself. I'm telling you that. I'm humbling myself. I'm trying, I'm seeking to do that every day. I think of the Azusa Street Revival, which I've brought up before. The, the, lead, um, the leader of that group was a, a, a black man named William Seymour. And you know what he used to do? 
every day and in the meetings, he had an apple crate on the floor, an apple crate, wooden. And he would stick his head in there and pray. That's what he would do. He would stick his head into the apple crate, just kneel down, stick his head in there and pray. That's a a picture of humility. And I don't have an apple crate or I'd get down and do it. Maybe some of you can bring one and I can (laughs) use the bass drum. Yeah, stick my head in the bass drum. Somebody might hit that and I'll go. Humility opens us to wisdom and the best kind of wisdom, spiritual wisdom. It's not just, it's not just wisdom to know how to, how to do big things, but wisdom before God. So, I'm calling us to humility. And that's a, that's a, a challenging journey because if we open ourselves up to that, God will take us seriously and put his finger on those things in our life where we didn't know, but it was like a, it was like a fist raised against God. There will be things in our life God will say, you got to deal with that. You got to deal with that attitude. You got to deal with that position you're taking. You got to deal with that thing. And you're, you're going to have to close your mouth and be quiet and listen. I'm trying to do that. Every day. That's hard for me. You know, pastors have a hard time closing their mouths. Um, <laughs> we, we're so used to talking. Uh, it's hard to just be quiet sometimes. Um, but we need to. And I'm trying to do that. Every day, I am seeking to take some time. I set the timer on my phone and just zip it and sit still. That's like the hardest thing in the world for me to do. I'm so sp- Alpha mode, going, 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 going. For me to stop and just sit and be quiet is like intolerable. But I'm seeking to do that because I want to hear from God and I want to humble myself before him. I want to hear what Christ has to say. So the next um, portion of scripture I want us to turn to is, is in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, We have an example of humility. And who do you think is the best example of humility we can look at? Jesus himself. Now, if there's anybody in this universe who you would think doesn't need to be humble, it's Jesus. He's the one who made it. Am I right? He doesn't have to humble himself. There's no way. He created this universe. He set things up. He he set the order of things. I have no problem with Jesus saying, okay, I want you to be humble because that's what's best for you. Now, I'm going to dictate to you how to do that. I would have no problem with that because that makes sense to me. He's the Lord. He can call it how he wants to. But instead, you know what our Lord and Savior did? He came and he showed us. He humbled himself. This Philippians chapter is amazing. Chapter 2, he says, and I'm just going to read, if there is any encouragement in Christ from being united with Christ, if any consolation of love, any comfort from His love, if there's any common 
sharing in the Spirit. I'm kind of reading two versions at the same time. If any fellowship with the Spirit. If any affection and mercy or tenderness and compassion. Then fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love. Everybody say same love. Same love. We need to have it, folks. We need to have this same love of Jesus. Being one in spirit, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal, being of one mind. And then he gives us some, this is Paul. He's talking about how we need to be united in Christ. And then he says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. What's conceit? What is conceit? When it's all about me. It's the idea of going everywhere with a mirror in your hand looking at yourself. Yeah, it's like (laughs) selfies. Like everybody with their cell phone. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Okay, that's uh, crippling our world. It's crippling our, our culture. It's crippling our youth because it's, it's a me culture. It's a me culture. And what the Bible teaches is the exact opposite of that. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. So Lori and I know a guy who uh, has on his phone... You know what I'm about to say, right? Um, who has on his phone a picture, not of his wife or of his children or some pretty picture. You know what he has on his phone? A picture of himself. That Now, I hate to say this, but that's really an example of conceit. And this guy's a friend of mine, and I love him, and I work with him a lot. But the truth is, that's conceit. That's self Centered. Every time he looks at his phone, he sees himself. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I would be so tired of seeing myself. But, you know, meant that, that's the picture of it. That's the image of it. But you know what? In our minds, this is how we think most of the time. Oh, I wonder what they're thinking about me. What about me? They're having this conversation, but I'm not part of it. And... They're, they're making decisions without me. Am I important or not? And these are big questions we ask ourselves all the time. All the time. All the time. How do our feelings get hurt? It's when me gets injured or left out. So, I... <coughs> yeah. So, anyway. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. That might make us be still for a while. You know? Because a a lot of us are just geared toward competition, competing with the other and being one up on everybody else. So, Jesus says to us, do nothing out of rivalry, competition, or conceit, but in humility, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. This is the Christian posture. This is how we're supposed to do it. In humility, consider others 
more important than yourselves. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they are more important. It means that's how you treat them, as though they are. And you know, the way you can do this is if you know, I have Christ in me. I have the love of my Father in heaven. It is so rich, so full, so big. I don't need to worry about myself getting what I deserve, getting what I'm due. (laughs) I can just be concerned about this other one around me. I don't have to strut and make myself look big. In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, an important phrasing I want, I want us all to understand, not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. You know, sometimes people have come across with this uh, attitude that I am a worm. I am a doormat. I need to just become nothing in order for Jesus to be everything. Now, that's a noble thought, but I don't think it's the biblical example. You see, if you keep putting yourself down and saying, I'm a doormat, I'm a nothing, I'm nobody, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. You know what? You are just as fish bait then. And, and it's, it's not really true. Because you know what you are? You're a child of God. You're a child of the King. You are somebody valuable. And that's how you can, in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. If you don't have that as the foundation, you've got to get this, folks. If you don't have that as your foundation, that I am a child of the King, I am loved, I am accepted, I am valuable in someone's eyes, my Heavenly Father's eyes. If you know that, then that's when you can reach down and be humble with people who don't deserve it, (laughs) people who are um, difficult to deal with, because you know God loves you. Can you get it? You got it? Can you say amen? Amen. Can you say hey yo? Hey yo. All right. So, so. Here we go. In humility, consider others more valuable above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but also for the needs of others. So it isn't like my needs don't count. And I think I've I've tried to live that way a lot, and it it doesn't always... um, I don't think it's biblical. It's not. I mean, we just read it. Also consider the needs of others. It's not that I have to fold up and die right now for your sake. Although if Jesus wants me to, I will. But it's where I consider your needs as well as mine. We have to consider each other. Because that's when things get accomplished. When we care about one another. And we move forward together. So this is the spirit of humility. And then finally, this is the the key right here. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And... Philippians 2 goes on to say, Jesus humbled himself. He laid aside all those prerogatives of deity and he came to live among us as one of us. That's a humbling thing. From the king of heaven, the king of the universe, down to become a baby 
and to be despised even by his own people and rejected by his own people. This is serious humility. He showed us, and even his followers, he would wash their feet. (laughs) His own followers who were supposed to serve him in everything. Amazing. So, to uh, show us more about this, I want to look at some amazing miracles that I want to see happen in our church. And I want to look at the miracles of Luke 7. And I want us to live in this chapter. I want our daily lives to be like this. Here, look at number one here. The centurion faith. This man, a centurion, had a servant who was about to die. Okay, we're at the end here, the end of his life. And Jesus is walking along. And some of the elders, now, if, if this guy's a centurion, do you know what his ethnicity would have been? Roman, non-Jewish, okay, uncircumcised, okay, this is kind of a big deal, non-Jewish, not one of them, but he was well loved in the community because he had built their synagogue, he had paid money to them, he had built their synagogue, and he loved Israel, he was an Israel lover, so he loved the people, he loved the country, and he even showed with his money how he loved them. So the elders say, hey, we like this guy. His servant is dying. What can we do? Hey, let's go to Jesus and let's ask Jesus to come and heal the servant. That's something we can do. Now these elders, I don't know if they were believers or not, but obviously Jesus' fame was going around. Here's the guy who healed people. So when you're sick, you're going to go to him. So they went to Jesus, said, you really should help this guy. You really should help this guy. He's been so good to our country. And his servant is dying. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus agrees. Now, I want to point out something. The, the, um, the elders gave reasons why this man deserves your help, Jesus. <laughs> this man deserves to have you do this. That's how my uh, translation says. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This man deserves it. So, these men are giving human reasons for trying to win God's approval into this situation. It's a man-centered thinking. I have done that with God all my life. God, you should heal this person because I'm praying so hard. God, you should heal this person because they're not totally rotten. There's something good in them still. God, you should deliver this person because... And then come up with a human reason. Something you would use with another human being. Well, um, it's interesting. Jesus agreed to go. I think simply because he was asked to. So, the reasons may not have held water in divine court, but... Jesus did it because he, uh, he was asked. We need to ask Jesus for stuff, folks. We need to ask Him all the time. And even if your reasons are wrong, He'll still change the course of His journey and He'll start to address that situation. So Jesus is walking over there and on the way, the man hears that He's coming and He says, Lord, Don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve you 
to have you come. Now, the elders had said, he deserves it. But the man himself said, I do not deserve. Now, what quality would you say that he has there? Bing, 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 bing. Smart audience. You get 100 points. He shows humility. He says, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why, I'm in verse 7 of chapter 7, that is why of Luke, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes on to give this most amazing declaration. He said, for I myself uh, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. Say to that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this guy understood authority. He's a military guy. He's a military guy. He He obeys his commanders, and he knows how to give orders, and they obey him. So the healing of this servant comes, and Jesus is astounded. He says, I haven't found any kind of faith like this in all of Israel. This is amazing. It says Jesus was amazed. I'd like to amaze Jesus with my faith. (laughs) I would like to do that. Jesus was amazed. And the point that I want to make from this is the level of your faith is in direct proportion to the level of your humility. The level of your faith is in direct proportion to the level of your humility. Now, what is humility? This centurion showed us humility. It showed us, okay, there's an order in the universe. And guess who's on top? God himself. And true humility that this centurion shows is recognizing his own place before God. Your humility, my humility, is recognizing our place before the Almighty. Not Mighty Mouse, but the Almighty. Recognizing our place before Him. Once we get in touch with that, then faith is an easy next step. He is who He is. I am who I am. I come to Him, and He will do what he wants to do. He will do what he delights to do. And Jesus loves to heal. So that's the first story of Luke 7. There's another story, a shorter one, where soon after that moment, they're walking along and they go by a village. And the name of this village is Nain, N-A-I-N. Jesus is walking along, and a a large crowd comes out of the village. And they're carrying a dead body. The dead body of an only son of of a widow. I don't know if she's old or not, but of a widow. A woman who had lost her husband, and now she's losing her son. That's a bad situation, folks. Now, that's a bad situation for us here today in America, but it's hugely worse for them. Because here in America, we have an amazing amount of social services that help people who cannot 
make it on their own. And uh, the government helps and churches help and people are sustained through their life. But in that day, your retirement program was having your children. That was your retirement program. Your children. And they were the ones who were going to take care of you when you got old and couldn't work anymore. They're the ones who are going to take care of you when you needed to have help. And her only hope, and she obviously would have loved him just like anybody else, but her whole life was gone now. This son who was going to be her hope for her future and the one and only one that she loved. That's a big deal, folks. So her life is shot. It is over. It is finished. And there's no hope for her. (laughs) But then there's Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't there hope now? Here comes Jesus walking by your village And this dead boy is being carried out. And the crowd's with her. And when the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, when the Lord sees you, here's what comes out of him. What does it say? When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. When he saw her, He said, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, Jesus is the one who can say don't cry, because he knows what he's about to do. Donna, could you drop the temperature down a little bit? It's a little getting warm. So, Jesus reaches out and touches the the beer, the palate. Now, that in itself was a violation of something because Jesus is making himself ceremonially unclean. You, you touch a dead body or you touch what a dead body is on and you become unclean and you can't go to the temple and worship and you can't do a number of things. But you ever notice how Jesus doesn't worry about that stuff? <laughs> he just doesn't worry about it. This is an unclean situation and he just goes right in. And that's because greater is he than the, than the uncleanness. So, folks, you have Jesus in you. Greater is he who's in you than any unclean situation you are drawn into. Any that you go with godly purpose. Greater is God in you than that situation. He goes, he, he says, he touches the, the side of the, the beer and, and they were where they're carrying him and the bears stood still. And all Jesus said is, young man, I say to you, get up. That's all he did. And the guy get up, got up, and he, what did he do? He started talking. That must have been quite a sight. Man, what a sight. He just gets up and starts, Hey, everybody, how's it going? What's going on here? What a beautiful day. This is the day you died, son. And here he is, speaking. These are miracles that we can see here when God's power is here. I want us to be open to these things. So, you run into a dead body somewhere? Have courage, folks. Have courage. Go and pray. And tell, young man, get up. You do it. You do it. And let God meet you in that point. 
Now that's the second story. And then I have one more story I want to look at. It's at the end of the chapter. Oh, I want to make a point about the second one. Forgot to say this. What brought about that miracle? I would say, in the first one, the centurion, there was a man's humility. And that ushered in the power of God. For Jesus, it was easy for him to say, servant be healed. And it was done. I mean, it's not recorded there, but it was done. His miracle was done. Here, what do we see? We see brokenness, this widow's brokenness, and Jesus' compassion. Jesus responds to brokenness, and he responds with compassion. Our miracle power will rise out of our own compassion. Folks, with our humility, we need to cultivate compassion. We need to cultivate compassion for people to be willing to go and put our hand on the dead body and say, young man, be healed and rise up. That takes courage, that takes faith, and it takes compassion where you really care. Folks, we need to care a lot more. We need to care a lot more. So let it happen. Now I want to go to the third story. And that is towards the end of the chapter. It starts at verse 36 of Luke 7. This is a miracle that's of the three miracles in this chapter. It's probably the greatest one. In the commentaries that I read, they said this is the greatest miracle. Because the miracle we're about to read is an eternal miracle. The miracle of raising the the servant from near death is a temporary miracle because you know what at the end of the day is going to happen with that servant? They're eventually going to die. That guy is not alive today. He's dead. His bones are somewhere in Israel. That boy who was raised from the dead, poor guy, (laughs) he had to die again. Imagine going through that experience twice. Uh, He was raised from the dead, but then one day, maybe 50 years later, he had to die again. But um, So those are like temporary miracles. But the miracle we're going to look at right now is an eternal miracle, and it really reflects the attitude we need. One of the Pharisees, Jesus is famous healer and, and known as a prophet, so he says, come on to my house. His name is Simon. Simon says, come on, Jesus, would you come to my house and have dinner with me? And so Jesus comes. And in this story, we're going to see a big difference between pride and humility. Simon invites him, and a woman in that town heard that Jesus was there, and so came up to the place and entered in, and apparently that was okay. You know, if... If Nelda's having dinner and has company in there, and then someone says, hey, Nelda's having a dinner, I think I'll go, I don't think that would be okay. You know, in our culture, that's not okay. But in this culture, people would just come into homes all the time. So here's Jesus, and in those days, they did not sit at the table, they reclined. So you're almost like lying on your side. So basically, Jesus would be lying on his left side, with his feet kind of down there, I would demonstrate it, but then you wouldn't be able to see me. Um, With his feet down here, shoes off, sandals off, lying at the table, just kind of eating food this way. 
And here comes this woman. It says, as she stood behind him at his feet. So that's always funny if you think about that sitting down. She's behind him at his feet. It's like, did she crawl under the chair or what? That doesn't make sense, right? But here, if he's, if he's prone and his feet are over here, she's just coming right here. And there she is at Jesus' feet. And, uh, and she, she um, stood behind him weeping. Interesting. It's just weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. I don't think she planned this. She's just doing it. There's some deep thing going on in this woman and her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus and she in those days women would grow their hair very long uh, and then they would kind of pile it up on their head and so what she would have done in this moment she would have taken the the pin out whatever holds her hair kind of like a hand grenade pull the pin okay so she pulls the pin out and then down goes her hair and she's just kneeling there and she takes her hair and she wipes his feet. Now we learn later that Simon, who's the host, should have done that. That was normal procedure. You wash the feet of your people because everybody wore sandals without socks. <laughs> okay, so you, you got your sandals and as you walk, it's not sidewalk like this, it's dusty road. And whatever's on the road, garbage, donkey droppings, you're walking through that. I want you to get this image, okay? The the people's feet would be dirty. Jesus' feet would have been dirty. And this woman takes her hair. Okay? That which is on your head, you keep your head clean. You keep your hair clean. I don't think there's any woman in here who would like to just go outside in the mud and rub your head around in it. I don't think so. But this woman took her hair out, took her hair down, and wiped the feet of Jesus with her tears. And then, turn to the next slide there. She took a jar like this. It's called alabaster. And it would be filled with a very expensive, precious ointment. And it didn't have like a stopper that you take off. You actually had to break the jar to get it out. So she was doing a very, very expensive thing here. This perfume would have been quite expensive. And she breaks the neck of the jar and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. Now, the, the, um, anybody wearing perfume here today? One person? (laughs) Did you uh, put perfume on your feet today? New. You put perfume on your head, right? Your neck. You know, the place that's out in the air more. You put your, your perfume up, up somewhere where you can smell it and it smells good. She's putting what was meant to be put on the head onto his feet after she had washed it. Okay, this act was amazing. But you know what's going on in the Pharisee's mind? And this kind of attitude is never going to see miracles. He's saying, Pharisee, Simon, the one who invited Jesus, saying, if this man were a prophet, obviously he's not, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Now, she was a sinful woman. 
it says, sinful. Probably, some people give a name to this woman, they say who she is and stuff, but there's no biblical evidence that she was Mary Magdalene. Some people think she was. But um, she might have been. We just don't know that. But the, the Bible says she was a sinful woman, very likely a prostitute. And Pharisee Simon is looking and saying, if he knew who this was, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. So the shocking thing to everybody there would have been sinful woman touching the holy man's feet. Completely unacceptable. Now to us, we see this happening and we're like, there's a lot more things going on. The woman's taking her hair, she's washing his feet. That's completely kind of, you know, strange and humiliating. And then this guy's talking in his own mind. He's kind of saying, Jesus doesn't know what's going on. And I just kind of laugh because it says, Jesus answered him. <laughs> so he's showing he knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on in his mind. I have something to tell you. And he tells a story about two people. One was forgiven $500 worth of stuff. Another one is forgiven $50 worth of stuff. Who do you think loves the guy more? Well, the one who was forgiven more, Simon says. And so then Jesus, boom, he lays the smack down. And he says, um, you know, you didn't wash my feet when I came in, but this woman's washed my feet with her own hair. You know, soiling herself, not a towel, but herself to wash me. And uh, you didn't give me any water. You, you didn't, and, and she's, you didn't give me a kiss, but she's been kissing my feet since the moment I came in. And you didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whenever anyone thinks about this story, you know who we think of? Who do we remember? The woman. We don't think about Simon. We don't remember that guy. We remember that woman. What she did for Jesus. It's a legacy that continues on and on and will throughout the end of time. Our Lord respects the humility. Our Lord respects and she received forgiveness that day. And Jesus even said to her, Woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, she came, you can read into the story, because she was feeling very guilty for being a sinful person. And here comes Jesus, and something in her was loving Him and so grateful for Him and who He was. Maybe she heard about the stories that He had done. Maybe as He was passing by, He said a kind word to her. And maybe she wasn't the kind of person who ever had a kind word spoken to her. But she responded and she soiled her head on the feet of Jesus. And that humility opened the door. She's showing her faith where his grace was able to pour out upon her. Praise the Lord. Folks, if we're going to see these miracles, we have to have that attitude. We have to be sitting at Jesus' feet, weeping before him broken before Him, 
crying out, repenting for our sins and the sins of our land. We need to do that. And we need to welcome His presence into us. Would you guys stand, please? And I want to close uh, here. Thank you for your patience and being here today. God's power is strong. And God is greater than anything we can do. Humility offers what is most precious. May we do that. May we do that. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would settle in over our church here. Would you lead us in your path? Lead us in your truth. Lord, as we bow before you, we need to come to you, to your feet, and kneel before you. Kneel before you, showing you our love, showing you our brokenness, weeping over you. And Lord, thank you for your love for us. I pray for your presence to be in our midst. May we be broken. May we be humble. And may our faith rise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.